Well, good evening again, and thank you guys for getting on the line. And we're about to get right into the Word of God. I want to talk about, again, prayer, but I'm going to give you some scriptures that would help us to keep our mind focused on uh, praying and praying strong and praying fervently. You know, some time ago I did a teaching called Take Five, and the Take Five teaching was designed just to help us to stay focused, to take a pause during the daytime so that we could really get into just a mindset of prayer. And there were five tenets to that uh, Take Five. It was reading, meditating, praying, reflecting, and believing. And so it's important that we take five, just like you do at work. If they say, let's take five, let's take a break, every day we should take a break, pause, and pray. So let me just share some scriptures with you uh, that I believe that will help strengthen uh, and give us more fiber in our prayers. Our, pra- our prayers need to be more robust and stronger, and the only way I know to do that is to line it up with the Scripture. And I'm going to say this a thousand times. If you haven't already heard, heard me say it a thousand times, we must pray based on the Word of God. Yes, we can pray about things that we have need of, but those things that you have need of, must adhere to a promise that God said he would meet that need. And so when you're a babe in Christ, you don't really know what to pray, as you should, but the Holy Spirit will help guide those prayers, just like we do with babies. We help them talk. We help them to even understand what they're asking for. And so in that regard, but as you grow and get a little more mature, God is going to expect a little more out of you. And so we want to line up everything with the Scriptures. And the best way to do it is to stay in the Word daily. I never assume that every Christian reads their Bible. In fact, I believe that they don't because a lot of the things that I hear them talk about and the way they talk about it and even when they pray, it's so far removed from what the scriptures say that I know that they're not spending precious time in God's word. And so let's just take uh, the first tenet of that, take five, about reading God's word. Let's go over to Second Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you uh, starting with verse 14. And it says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless to the hearers and leads to the ruin of hearers. So it's important that we know that God knows when we get into arguments about the word or arguments about the things of God, he says it becomes useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. And then he says in verse 15, But be diligent, and that word means also to study. Be diligent to study, to prove or present yourself approved to God, right? And he says, as a workman. So it gives us the idea that our diligence and our study causes us to be workmen. So be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. It's important that we work hard and we work smart and that we work in line with Scripture. Because at the end of the day, you will feel shame in your life if we're not doing things the way God called us to do it. You will meet success or failure based on your diligence, all right? And he says, again, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. In other words, not to other people, but to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And why? Because you'll handle accurately the word of truth. And when I see that in Scripture, it always denotes the idea that if he tells me to handle it accurately, then we can also handle it inaccurately. And so we have to spend a great amount of time in the Word of God. When I first got saved, 
I spent so much time indulging the scriptures, reading the word, listening to tapes. At that time, there were cassette tapes, and I would listen to them over and over and over again. I would be at every church service that I could be at. I would try to attend every convention because I wanted to hear God's word so that I could act on it. And so he says, we need to learn how to handle accurately the word of truth. When you learn how to handle accurately the word of truth, you'll also learn how to pray accurately. It's so important. Look at verse 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter. Now I want you to think about that's a broad band of of things that you do during the day. Worldly and empty chatter, the Bible says, should be avoided. All right, now, of course, we're to do this politely. We're to do this, you know, like we have some sense. You know, you don't just ignore people. But what we can do is when people are using empty and worldly chatter, we can navigate that chatter into something more positive about life and about God and about reality. And so it's important for us. We are the leaders in that. And so when somebody's coming to you in a worldly way, when what they have to say is very empty, then we need to lead them because the Bible says that it will lead us, us, other people, into further ungodliness, he says. And verse 17 says, and their talk, in other words, this empty chatter, this worldly chatter, will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. This is what happened in those days. These two gentlemen led people into talk that spread like gangrene. So it's important that we make sure that we are the navigators of conversation. All conversations can be guided, just like the wind can guide a ship. All we have to do is direct that rudder in a different way and that conversation go in a positive way. I've, I've talked to many people during the day who had a lot of mindless stuff on their mind, and I would always interject something that I wanted them to think about and something that I wanted to have a conversation about, and it will arrest the empty chatter. Because I'll tell you, having all of that stuff in your mind will cause a problem for your prayer life because you have to now detox from all the things that they've been telling you and talking to you about. And so it's important. So when we study the Word of God, we must examine the Scripture, and we must know in and out what the Scripture says. It's a covenant for us. It's God's mandate. It's the will of God. And so it will be hard to really ask or pray in the same way that if you were on a new job and it took you through the orientation and you didn't read thoroughly the policies and procedures and there you are asking your manager for things that are not in the policies and the procedures. Well, the Bible is a book of policy and procedure from heaven. And so it's imperative. It's so important that we teach every new believer uh, the policy and the procedure of the covenant of God and that the old believers or those who are veterans in this walk need to go back and revisit the policy and the procedures of the word of God. And the more you read it, the more you understand it, the more you become what they ask of you. You know, the Bible tells us that our ways are not like his ways, nor our thoughts like his thoughts. And that was because in the Old Testament, when the prophet was speaking those things, men did not have an opportunity to be regenerated or born again. And so they were flesh, and, and they could not speak spiritually. And so after Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again, men were able to become born again, to take part in the life of Christ and Christ to take part in their life. And so now our ways can become his ways and our thoughts can become his thoughts. And if we do this diligently, as 15 says, verse 15, be diligent. I mean, work hard at it. Pray about it. 
think about it. Be diligent to present yourself self-approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. The biggest thing about this verse is that we have to be honest people when we're reading it. You have to ask yourself the question, are you as diligent in the word as you should be? Are you spending enough time to really grasp or catch what God is saying? Are you spending enough time with God, an intimate time with God, that you're able to renew your mind? Because if you don't renew your mind, your mind will be in conflict with everything that the Bible says. And therefore, if your mind's in conflict with what the Bible teaches, then your prayers will be conflict-ridden. You won't have the faith to be able to stand and trust God. You'll be in conflict on whether he will or won't he. You know, you just won't do it. And so when you read the word, and I suggest reading out loud, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So important that we know that. So keep your mind on the word of God as we read it. And then uh, let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. This will help us a lot too. On studying the word of God, there's things that we need to do. And I believe this whole fourth chapter of Proverbs is given to just what I'm talking about when it comes to studying and being diligent uh, because if we don't read the word of God, it's going to be hard for us to understand what it is that God requires of us. All right, in verse 1, it says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. And then he says, And give attention that you may gain understanding. So when we're studying the word of God, we're asking God for understanding. We're praying for understanding. And he says, pay attention so that you can get the understanding, that you can gain it. In verse 2, he says, for I give you sound teaching. He says, do not abandon my instruction. And, you know, you have to think about it. How can you abandon the instruction of God? Just by being unbelieving or being unfaithful to the things of God or just being blatantly disobedient or lazy you know, not really caring about what God cares about, you can abandon the things of God. You can abandon the things that he teaches you. And so he says, do not abandon my instruction. And then verse 3 says, when I was a son to my father, tender, and only the son inside of my mother, the only son inside of my mother, he says, then he taught me and said to me, watch this, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. I mean, that's very powerful. Then he taught me, verse 4, and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Your heart cannot hold fast to the word of God unless you're studying them on a regular basis. He says, keep my commandments, meaning practice and obey my commandments. And then he says, and live. In verse 5, acquire wisdom and acquire understanding and so you can't have one without the other. If you're going to acquire wisdom, then you have to inquire understanding and acquire understanding, which tells me that understanding and wisdom are two different things. He says acquire wisdom, number one, and then he says acquire understanding. Now, I always thought that wisdom was understanding, but what he's telling us here, when you get some wisdom, you need to get some understanding about it as also. All right, now, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Very, very, very specific. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. And he's, when he says her, he's speaking of wisdom. She will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. And then watch this in verse 7. 
The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. Now watch this. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. There we see a second time he's telling us get wisdom and then also get the understanding that wisdom wants to share with you. In other words, it's about getting the information and then also learning how to use the information. It's not enough to have info, but you have to have a way to understand that information and apply it to your daily life. Verse 8 says, prize her and she will exalt you. In other words, when you give wisdom the high uh, preeminent spot, it says prize her. In other words, value her, esteem her, and she will exalt you. And here we find why so many people are not promoted because they don't prize wisdom. They don't honor wisdom. They don't respect wisdom. When they get wisdom, they're not getting the understanding that goes with it. And it says here, it says prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Look at verse 9. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. And then he says in verse 10, hear my son and accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. And here again is where I always say we can add to our life or we can take from our life. Because just from listening to the word, he says, accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many, and the years of your life will be many. So you can see all the promise of God. You can see all the things that God wants to do in our life when it comes to reading and studying and being diligent, and then also looking and asking and seeking wisdom. And when we grab hold of wisdom, what wisdom has for us is understanding as well. So we need to ask God for wisdom, and then we need to ask him for the understanding that is going to help us use the wisdom. You know, Solomon had wisdom. The Bible says there's not a king more wise than Solomon. And I think that this speaks to exactly what happened to Solomon. He had a lot of wisdom. But I don't think he had as much understanding as he needed to because the Bible says that with all Solomon's wisdom, he still sinned against the Lord. He had high places where they worshipped other gods, and uh, he had all of these wives. You can't tell me a man uh, that has wisdom would want 700 wives and 300 concubines. That, number one, is not going to be wisdom. But Solomon had so much wisdom. He had so much information and so much insight that I don't believe his understanding could keep up with all of the things that he knew. And so it's not always about gathering, 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 but it's about selecting what you gather and dissecting it and examining it and studying it diligently so we can find application. And I would unite with that phrase that understanding would be more united with application because, again, information is not power unless it's applied in application. So that's so important when it comes to the first tenet of the Take 5 principle about reading and understanding, getting wisdom, collecting all of that wisdom with understanding, and then finding application for it. The other tenet of faith was the meditation piece. And I have a scripture that I want to read to us about meditation. It's found in Psalms 104. Let's go over to Psalms 104. And I'll tell you, every one of these psalms were very packed with experience because David wrote most of these psalms. He didn't write them all, but he wrote most of them. And it was based on how God had 
interacted with David throughout his life as even a boy all the way through being a man and becoming a king and a father and all the things that David experienced in his life. So when David wrote about these things, these songs, they're really uh, things from his own heart and experience that he has prayed and cried out to God about. So God gave him a lot of insight, and I think it would do us good to listen just to a couple of the things that David had to say. So let me go up to verse 31 of 104 in the book of Psalms. And it says this, verse 31, let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord, he says, let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. And I will praise, I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. In other words, while I'm alive and have breath, I am going to praise him. And then look at what he had to say based on all of that in verse 34. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. And I think that's appropriate for David to say that because our meditation is not always appropriate. Sometimes we meditate on the wrong things, and that would not be pleasing to God. Sometimes we're meditating and it's causing more doubt, more unbelief. Sometimes we're meditating on, on evil things or negative things. And so it causes a wedge between the intimacy that God wants to have for you. So he's basically saying the thoughts that I'm thinking, what's going on in my mind and my heart, let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, listen, I shall be glad in the Lord. I shall be glad in the Lord. Well, I think that's appropriate, too, because sometimes in our meditation, we're not happy. <laughs> we're meditating on all kinds of things that make us unhappy and make us sad. So David was declaring some things. He says, again, let my meditation, my thoughts, what's going on in my head, be pleasing to him, which tells me that it's not just your language, it's not just your talk, it's the inner stuff that we keep in. It's the thoughts and the things that we haven't shared yet. It's the stuff in the secret place. So let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I will be glad in the Lord. I'm going to choose to be glad in him. And that's something I want to do more. I want to think about that more. I want to make sure that I'm not allowing the woes of this world and my uh, circumstances and situation affect my relationship with God to where my prayer life is not as powerful and potent as it could be because my thoughts are out of control or my emotions are uh, not in check. And so David is just making a strong declaration that he's going to make sure that his meditation is pleasing to God. In other words, I'm going to only think the thoughts that are going to be in line with God that makes him pleased with me. And while I'm doing that, he says, while I'm waiting on God to make up his mind about things and God to bring things to pass in my life, as for me, what I'll be doing while God is doing that, I should be glad in the Lord. <laughs> I should be glad in the Lord. That's what he's going to do. So we need to take a, a hint from that and take the posture of while God is operating, while God is working in our lives, decide to be glad in the Lord. And because you're in Christ, be glad at where he's placed you. Be glad in his presence, be glad in the body of Christ where he set us to be his children, to be his beloved, to be the apple of his eye. These are the things we have to be meditating upon. So when I open my mouth to pray, then what's going to come out of my mouth 
is what I'm glad about, what I'm thankful for, what I'm grateful for. These are the things that are going to help us as we take five and we pray, as we read his word, as we meditate upon his word. And then the other tenet would be then we, from the reading and the meditating, we begin to pray. And one of the most powerful uh, scriptures about prayer was found in Philippians chapter 4. So we're going to go over Philippians chapter 4. There are many others, but this to me is the hinge that swings the door. Once we look at this, this is the basis and the principle of all prayer. And God shows us in this how our prayer won't be short-circuited if we do what it says here. In Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and I have to stop and pause at that, you know, because I have to be honest and transparent. You know, I have not always rejoiced in the Lord at every time and every moment in my life. This is a commandment that he's given us. This is not a suggestion. No matter what you're experiencing or what you're going through, whether the times are very uh, just enduring times, hardship, you know, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, again, I will say rejoice. And then he says, let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men that the Lord is near. Now, we know that the Lord is near what we're going through, that the Lord is in the midst of our circumstances, that he is there in our experiences with us, that we are not alone. You know, so we need to let people know while watching us go through things, experience things, that the Lord is very near. He's close to me, and I am to rejoice in him. I'm to let uh, my forbearing spirit be known to all men that the Lord is near. Now, here's the point in verse 6. In all of that, he says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be stressed out or worried about anything. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be distracted, you know, by the things you experience. He says, but take it to prayer. He says, but in everything by prayer, everything by prayer. That means that the things we think about, the things we're experiencing, the things that we want to come to pass, the promises of God that are all yes and amen, he says, but everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, spending time in that prayer. And he says, and while praying and supplicating, he says, do it with thanksgiving. He says, let your request, whatever it is that you're asking for, be made known to God. Now, that's silent. Sometimes, and I'll speak to people as individuals now, you know, even if you're married or you've got a very close friend or family member, you know, sometimes God wants you individually praying to him. You don't bring everything to your family member. You know, the parents don't bring it to your kids. Kids don't always bring it to your parents. Husbands, don't go to your wife with all your worries and your woes. Go to God. Wives, do not go to your husband with all your woes. Go to God. Now, when you go to God, the Bible says, look, in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As much as you might love the person and they share with you all their woes and problems, you do not have the power to guard their minds. Only Christ does. And so you need to pray about what you need to go to one another with. You need to get in agreement with God and do what he says first. And as you do what God says first, he may lead you to go share. He might lead you to go pray with your spouse. 
He might lead you to go pray with your children. If you follow what I'm saying, it must be led by the Spirit, you know. I don't want to drag my wife down with every little thing that I'm thinking or every little thing that I'm going through because God might be doing something individually in me that's just for me. And I don't interfere with what he's doing uh, in my wife's life because God might be doing something specific to her need. And so I want to be careful that I don't interfere with the intimacy that she's supposed to have with God. You see, we can only grow when we have intimacy with God. And intimacy means aloneness with God, a time apart from everyone else and you being with God all by yourself. And when you come out of a meeting that you've had with God, you're going to come out of a meeting with more clarity and more understanding. You're going to have wisdom and understanding and application, and you could be a better father. You could be a better husband. You could be a better friend, a better employee, because you have spent that time with God in prayer. So, again, as we've read and studied and stayed diligent, as we have acquired wisdom and found application for it, as we've meditated and made sure our meditation was pleasing to God, now we're going to go to God in prayer. We're going to make our request known to God in our prayer so God can answer that prayer. You know, many times God will meet your need and meet the need of your family just because you stay intimate with him, just because you spent the time with him. He may give you the solution to solve a problem before it even happens. And so it's very important that each and every one of us have alone time with God so that God could speak to our hearts, all right? So reading and meditating and praying. How about this point, reflecting on all the things that I just shared with you and having a time of reflection uh, so that we can contemplate. And reflection means to contemplate, you know, or to have consideration about the Scripture, about your life, as it pertains to the scripture, uh, the relationship that you have with God, and then also the relationships that we have with other people. You know, we need to have time to contemplate, you know, to make adjustments and to have some consideration of what uh, we need to do in a circumstance or a situation. So I'm going to show you a familiar passage of scripture, and let's go to Romans chapter 4 and look at the story of Abraham when God was dealing with him. Firstly, individually, he dealt with Abraham. And then Abraham had to believe and trust God, whether anybody else around him would. So take a look at verse 17 of Romans chapter 4. And it says, as it is written, a father of many nations I have made you. He didn't say made them. He said he made him. He said you. He's talking specifically to Abraham. He says, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and calls into being that which does not exist. So Abraham was having an experience with God all by himself. And at this time, we knew that Abraham had a wife, and he had a household of people, and he had uh, relatives all around him, but God drew him out to speak to him. And this is what I was saying earlier. Sometimes God will draw you out from your family just to speak to you. And again, I cannot stress the point that you need alone time with God. You don't have to come out of prayer and share everything going on in your head. Now, we saw an illustration of that with Joseph. Joseph heard from God in a dream, and I believe that that dream was for Joseph. It wasn't for anybody else. But Joseph, excited about his dream, got out of that dream state and went sharing it with his family and his brothers, 
and they didn't like the boy in the first place. And when he told them about this dream, they hated him even more, and they made a plan up to get rid of him. And, man, they did everything they could but kill him, and they wanted to kill him. And what it was is that they were trying to kill his destiny. They were trying to kill his destiny, and he wasn't enjoying the journey because he found himself being sold into slavery. He found himself in a pit. He found himself in the palace. He got in trouble in the palace, went to prison, and on and so forth. So from the pit to the palace, Joseph had a lot of trouble because he did not keep the secrets of his heart before him and God. He shared them with people who are already hating on him. And so my point is, is that when God is speaking to someone, he's speaking and addressing them about what he's calling them to do, which would also be a benefit and an influence to other people. So when he said to him, look, I call those things with be not as though they are. That's who you're talking to. And then look at verse 18. He says, in hope, he says, but also against hope. Abram believed in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that, listen, y'all, according to that which had been spoken. So he didn't believe that he was going to become the father of many nations because that's what he desired and that's what he wanted. He believed in hope and against hope in order that he might become the father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. And then he says, so shall your descendants be. So because God said so, I'm getting to this, this piece of reflection. Because God said so, we have to consider what God says and not what anyone else says. We have to consider what God says and not what our flesh or circumstances say. We have to consider what God says and not what our spouse might say or think or believe. Because when you read in, in, in the Old Testament the story about this, as it gets into detail, Sarah thought it was preposterous. She, she thought it was a joke. She thought it was funny. She laughed when God said that they were going to have a child because she knew she was beyond childbearing years. And furthermore, even when she was able to bear a child in her younger years, her womb was barren. So she's thinking, look, if my womb was barren when I was a young woman, how much more will it be barren now that I'm an old woman? And she probably looked at Abraham, and you're older than me. What are you talking about? So I can see her being cynical and laughing at this. And so, but God didn't speak to Sarah about what he was going to do. But he did address Sarah in her faith. And he said, why did you laugh? And she said to the Lord, I didn't laugh. But God knew that in her heart she was being sarcastic. But again, when God speaks something to a husband or to a man of the house, the family may not understand. I mean, God speaks things to leaders sometimes that he doesn't speak to the body. And so, you know, you have to stay in prayer about these things. As the pastor of a church, I'm going to see the direction that God wants us to go long before any of the flock or the members of the church see it. And I can't go and confer with the members of the church or confer with people that God's not talking to. I can ask for prayer. I can ask for their support. But my contemplation my consideration must amount to me listening to the word of God. So if I'm going to reflect on anything, I'm going to reflect back on what God said to me in 1992 when he had me open up for the first time Inner City Faith Fellowship and the ministry that he laid out before me. And see, and so long as I stick with that and keep my mind in line with what he promised, God will bring it to pass. So after I've read and I've meditated and I've prayed and I've reflected, Take a look at this. He says, now, in verse uh, 19, and without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body 
now as good as dead since he was about, what, 100 years old. So he figured by then nothing's working. I'm 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So she was a little younger than him, but she was still up in age. And he says, and yet, in other words, get this now, he saw all of that, but he said, yet. There's always a big yet in your life. Hey, it's this thing or that thing, but yet, this is what God says, with respect to the promise of God, which is respect to the word of God, to listen and to reflect on the word of God. He did not waver in unbelief. In other words, he had a moment there, but he didn't waver in it, but grew strong in faith. And how did he get stronger in faith? By giving glory to God. What did David say? He says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad. He began to praise God and rejoice with God and sing the song. Look, my meditation, I want it to be pleasing to you. And I'm going to sing the song of gladness before you. And that's what Abraham did at this point. He reflected so much that he went back to God's original word, and he started giving glory to God in the midst of Sarah, in the midst of his old age, her old body and circumstances, and he began to give God the glory. And I think sometimes when it gets to prayer, we forget to praise. And, and when we don't praise, we don't have the inspiration that helps to motivate us to believe and to trust God. You know, when a person is rejoicing, that is victory. When a person sings a song of victory, a triumph, that means they have believed, they have received in faith. And so I think what's absent in a lot of people's prayer life is the giving glory to God, to to amen in God to the point that it's so. We have to believe and we have to say amen and we have to say so be it, amen. And so that's what he's saying here. So giving glory to God and verse 21 and being fully assured. That's the last thing I want to talk to you about is the uh, reading, the meditation, the praying, the reflecting, now the believing. Well, when a person believes, when a person has settled their heart to believe and trust in something, he says, and being, verse 21, and being fully assured, fully assured that what he, speaking of God, had promised, he was able to perform it. He was able to perform it. Can you imagine that? And God showed a little bit of his performance to Abram when he asked him to go on the hill and make a sacrifice to him, and he asked for his son. Now, here's a perfect example of God speaking to an individual and you not speaking to the family. God tells Abram at this time, I want your son. I want you to offer me your son. So Abram packs up a donkey, grabs his son, takes a couple of his people with him, and they walk all the way to the base of the mountain. And then he says this by faith. He says, we shall return and wait for us. So the men stayed there, and the boy began to walk up the mountain with his father, and he said, you know, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abram said, God will provide. Can you imagine that? He had it in his heart to give this boy to God, and this boy was wondering. And I think it wasn't the first time that he'd made a sacrifice with his dad. He knew that when you go up on the mountain, you had to have something on your back, a goat, a ram, a sheep, something. Well, there was nothing that they were carrying that was alive up there but themselves. And when he got on top of that hill, he took the boy and tied him on that altar, and I think by then the boy realized that his dad was about to sacrifice him. And right when he was about to do it, right at the point he was about to sacrifice his son, God says, hold it, stop, wait a minute, do the boy no harm. 
He says, just there to the left of you or the right of you, there's a ram in the thicket. In other words, a ram had caught himself in a bush. A bush had caught a ram. And it's funny that at the same time he was about to make a sacrifice of his son, God had provided the sacrifice. What does this tell us? Sometimes we get into the thing of doing what we're going to do. Right on the basis of doing what you believe God has told you to do, he's testing your faith. He may take you to the point of almost doing what it is that you need to do and then stop you because provision is right there in your midst. And so here's the boy, you know, standing with his dad in verse 21 and being fully assured that what he had promised, this man had to believe, right? He was able to perform. In verse 22, therefore also it was reckoned, meaning that it was counted to him as righteousness or obedience to him. So when you read the word and you study diligently and when you get into that word and follow the instruction of that word and acquire the wisdom and you get the application, the use of it, when we meditate in the sense that our meditation is clean, that it's before God, it's perfect, that our hearts are right and that it's pleasing to God and we begin to sing the song of gladness and when we take our prayers to God alone, according to Philippians, and we make our request known unto him that he gives us that peace that we can settle in our hearts and minds and be guarded that we are kept in Christ Jesus in right mind. And when we reflect and contemplate and consider what God said originally and then act on it with full belief, reading, meditating, praying, reflecting, and believing, boy, then we'll have the opportunity to take a break with God and see the victory in our lives. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's what I have for you tonight, the Take 5 Principle of Prayer, reading, meditating, praying, reflecting, and believing God. 